Those are the odds. Stats website 538 now gives Toronto FC to make the playoffs. But I think for most, we can now kind of round down to zero as Toronto FC faces possible mathematical elimination this weekend with five games to go. However, elsewhere in Canadian soccer circles, things are far more positive as the men's national team has yet another talent to their added to their pool, while the Canadian League looks to unearth others. We'll cover all that on this week's Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and James Grossi of MLSsoccer.com is back on the show. James, how's it going? Mitchell, it's a pleasure to be back on with you. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting all things Canadian soccer. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of chatting all things Canadian soccer, we do have another Footy Talks event coming up on October 11th at the Rivoli. Uh, that will be taking place at 7 o'clock. Both James and I will be on panels, as well as Laura Armstrong of the Toronto Star and Gareth Wheeler of TSN, uh, with more to be announced soon. But the night's extra special because our colleague Joshua Cloak is launching his book, Come On You Reds, all about Toronto FC. $25 gets you a ticket and a book. Uh, you can head over to homestand.ca to check that out. James, you've read the book. You actually uh, featured in the book a little bit as well. Um, why should Toronto FC fans check this out? Uh, yeah, Josh was kind enough to give me a, a galley copy a couple months ago, and I, uh, I had a great time sort of digging in and reliving the past decade or so of uh, Toronto FC's history through the eyes of Josh and all the work that he did. Uh, I know how many people he spoke to and how much time he, he uh, spent sort of digging into all these things that some of us have sort of forgotten whether willfully or or just by the the sheer weight of time that's passed and you know for those who are who are excited about the book coming out I sort of have two reasons that that I think uh, everyone not just Toronto fans but sort of uh, the wider soccer community should uh should definitely give Josh's book a chance and you know the first one is sort of a personal one and this might speak a little bit more to Toronto fans is that you know, it's it's very seldom that you sort of get a chance to relive something that you were intimately involved in, in book form. And so while I was reading it, there was just this sort of giddy thrill of, of reading something that, you know, I was a part of and I was there for a lot of these moments. And, you know, Josh does a masterful job of sort of finding the humor in some of those dark times, the number of uh, the number of, you know, actual laugh out louds that I did while <laughs> reading it was uh was pretty stunning and I've told Josh this already and and uh it's also while while doing that and getting that sort of personal thrill there's also the larger picture of of, you know in this corporate world of sports it's hard for a club to sort of find their feet and to find what they're about and to build that sort of something special that we all love about sports teams that make them different from any sort of business and and you know Josh has done a a very good job of tracking all the missteps throughout this club and, you know, Toronto was very much a blank canvas when it started back in 2006. The, the way that they hit the scene and sort of, you know, if you cast your mind back to 2007 and that first match at BMO Field, I don't think anybody going there really knew what to expect. And, mm-hmm. and I think everyone who was part of that and, and has been part of it over the years has sort of marveled at how much this sort of, you know, business creation has turned into something that's a really important part of people's lives. And so for Josh to track, you know, the evolution of that and, and all the characters that have been involved over the years and, 
you know, finding the, the, the effort and, and the struggles that it took to find that right mix of personalities to turn it into a club that, uh, that it is today is, is, uh, very, very interesting. And, and so, you know, Toronto fans will have that personal aspect of sort of being able to revel in, in a history that they were a part of. And, and for the general soccer fan, I think it's a, it's a very interesting uh, look at sort of how a club finds an identity in, in this day and age. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm going to have to even pick up another copy of it myself. I also got that advanced version, but turns out there's pictures in the book and ours didn't have any pictures. So I want to, <laughs> I want to, <laughs> I want to support Josh as well, but I want my book to have pictures in. Anyway, um, I, like, I like a good picture as much as the next guy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You need that, you need that kind of break in the middle of the book. Usually they have all those pictures. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you don't want to look at them too early, lest it ruin some of the narrative. So you sort of have to sneak a peek at the first couple and make sure they're still where you're at. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but unfortunately for, for the club itself, it, you know, lately it has kind of harkened back a bit more to the dark days. Obviously the season hasn't been you know, it's not completely like a 2013 or, or something like that, but um, Toronto FC is on the verge of missing in the playoffs. They could be mathematically eliminated this weekend if they lose or tie against New England and rivals Montreal are able to pick up a result against DC United. Um, I think at this point, especially after the loss away to the New York Red Bulls, I think most of us consider it only a matter of time before that mathematical elimination happens. But, um, what are you what are you looking out for for the rest of this season from Toronto FC be it you know a game in particular you're looking forward to or or even some of the players that you might want to see given an opportunity because um, I think we will expect at least a little bit of turnover next season yeah it's it's been such a strange year that I'm finding it really hard to sort of uh, you know put things in their proper context and and we'll talk a little bit about the turnover coming up but like I'm just not quite certain what to make of, of how the team has gotten here and their inability to sort of fight out of the hole that they put themselves in throughout the early season. And, you know, until they're mathematically eliminated, I'm, I'm, there's even a little part of me that's, that has to leave a little bit of space for, for them to possibly make it into the playoffs as ridiculous as that sounds at, at this 2% mark that they're at, because, you know, it's MLS and, and crazy things happen in this league and, you know, you're sort of looking at Philly is now is now out of reach, and so you're looking at Montreal, and I don't think it's inconceivable that Montreal sort of falls apart, and I don't think it's inconceivable that Toronto wins. It would it would require them to do stuff, to do to string together a series of results that we haven't seen them be capable of doing. So, you know, I'm I'm uh, not putting any money on this or anything like that. But Montreal's got a tough little schedule. You know, they go to DC and then they host Columbus and Toronto, and then they go to New England. And you know, Toronto's got New England this weekend and then Vancouver, and then they head to D.C. and Montreal before that de- that decision day match against Atlanta, which, you know, regardless of what the circumstances will be at the time, should be a cracking match. So I'm, uh, I'm sort of in two minds about this. For Toronto, Vanny even said this earlier this week, it's all about however the season ends, whenever it is that it's going to end, they want to end it on a positive note. You know, there have been a lot of, we're going to have a lot of time this offseason to sort of analyze what went wrong and, and, like I said, why they couldn't sort of dig themselves out of this hole. But regardless of whether there are playoffs in their future or not, I think the side will, will very much be playing for the pride that they have in themselves heading into these last five matches. You know, 
Um, whether we get a chance to see some of the young guys, whether whether you know it's it's the right move to shut somebody down. Like if, if Sebastian Jovinko can't go, is it right to, to shut him down and give Jordan Hamilton a run out, say, or Io Akinola or something like that? That's sort of a a contextual sort of thing that that I think Vanny will make that decision when the time comes and, and when they know whether they're they're in or out. But that's always something to sort of keep an eye on. But I think the one thing we can be sure of is that you know Toronto is not going to be going into these five matches having having mailed it in and, and feeling sorry for themselves and, and willing to just sort of trot out there and see out the string. This is a side that that despite how the year has gone is. Uh, is very much committed to that sort of one game at a time tagline that we heard so much last year. And it's something that I think they've sort of gotten away from a little bit this year, which is one of the, uh, one of the things that we'll be talking about a lot in the off season. But with these last five games left, I think we'll see a lot of, a lot of heart in the performances, regardless of uh, what lies ahead. Yeah. And you know, it will be interesting, especially if things, especially if they can't make the playoffs to see, um, kind of the ins and outs. Uh, there's definitely been, you know, trolling social media at all. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, who people would like to see leave the club, and a lot of it has been getting very excessively ridiculous. I've heard, I've heard more times than I should that they should just sweep all three DPS aside and um, just start from scratch, which. Uh, very much is not the not the way of Toronto FC um, president Bill Manning. Uh, I was reading in Josh's book about his rule of fourteen, and I won't fully spoil what that is because um, you know Josh dug that up, and it is an interesting part of the part of the uh, the book. But uh, basically, this rule that. Um, you know the they they try to have as little turnover as possible and the best clubs in MLS do continue to keep their core players together so i would imagine we see that from Toronto FC this off, this off season and um I, I you know i've always been one of the people who thinks that's that's not the wrong decision i think there are changes that they could make and and uh, maybe some depth positions that they need to uh, shore up and some players who haven't quite lived up to what was expected of them this season but as far as the team's core goes, I think we'll, I think we can expect not too many changes there. Yeah. Vanny's talked about, about the value of consistency and about having a cohesive team and players that have played together. And, and in a league in MLS where, you know, the margins between even the best team and the worst team on any given day can be so thin and there's a salary cap. So, you know, the, the possibility that you have to create that separation is sort of artificially limited having guys that are familiar with each other that know each other can go such a long way in this league. And so, you know, despite sort of uh, the weight of the season uh, affecting how fans currently feel about a bunch of players, I just, I can't really see them doing a whole rebuild thing. Uh, in a, uh, in a piece at MLSsoccer.com with Sam Sejdal the other day, Bill Manning had a chat and, and he noted that, uh, all three DPs are under contract for next year. And with another shot at the champions league coming up in February, I think it would be, it would be a, a very bold decision to, to basically tear up the blueprint of this side and decide to go into that with a, an entirely different side. So I just don't really see, I don't really see that as a possibility. You, you never want to say never, just like uh, with TFC's chances of making the playoffs this year. But uh, I don't think that, that the team that we'll see next year is going to be massively different from this one. You know, I would even, I would even sort of make the argument that, uh, you know, you could trot out this exact same squad next year and, 
or if you replayed this season with the exact same team, it, it could have ended so differently. And the factors that have played into that, you know, are myriad and, and they're things that we'll sort of dig into over the next couple of months, as I mentioned, but it, it makes it really hard to, to project out future wise. It, are, are guys like Eric Zavaleta and Nick Haglin the players they were this year, or is this year a blip and they were more the players that they were last year is, is, is the team basically was this season a confluence of factors or was this season more a revelation of the true selves that, that make up the squad. And so at this point with, with the way that the season has, has played out, it makes everyone sort of look bad. It makes every decision look, look like a poor one. But right now I just really have a whole bunch of questions, you know, like uh, have Aro and, and Lucas Hansen done enough to sort of, entice TFC into making their loans permanent deals. Do they need a new center back? And, and is there anybody in the squad that can sort of step into Drew Moore's shoes if, if he's going to have injury struggles the way that he has this year? You know, uh, does uh, does our old friend Agar Akeche end up coming back? Or, mm. or is he staying in Forgot Spain? about him. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, like, yeah, as you mentioned, the depth sort of thing. Like, like is Jason Hernandez valuable to have for another season? I happen to think his experience and the uh, – the presence he brings to the locker room is very valuable, but do you need do you need somebody who can put more minutes out there for you if if Drew's not available? You know, is is to Saint Ricketts still capable of providing that added scoring threat from the bench? I think his season's been very marked by that that thyroid issue he had in preseason and just never quite being able to get things ticking over and get the minutes and the with any regularity and with a team that was sort of flowing in order to show us what he can do and then. You know, there's a bunch of young guys on this team that are are very much hungry for starting positions, and, and is there going to be space for them at Toronto FC in that regard? You know, Jay Chapman, Jordan Hamilton, I think guys like Ryan Telfer and Liam Frazier are very much uh, where they're going to be for the next couple of seasons, but you never know in this league. Is John Vaccaro a guy they picked up midseason, somebody that they really see a spot for here in the future, and then... You know, we're going to look at TFC2 a little bit later on, but is there room for any of those guys to move up? And in particular, uh, our old friend Subasa Endo, who's been tearing it up, as we'll discuss. Yeah, we certainly will. And uh, I guess just to go back to the core the core thing, like, I don't know, there's been so much turnover with the lineup this year. Why would they kind of, like, bring that on themselves and bring in a whole new crop of players and try, especially with the Champions League, try and bring it together? So, yeah, I, I'd agree. It just makes no sense to to turn over the core players, but um, there definitely are some some underlying questions as you brought up to to discuss with the roster. Um, before we finish up with the Toronto FC uh, senior team, um, some interesting quotes coming out of Alex Bono. He's the first player, um, other than perhaps Michael Bradley, to really hold his hands up and say, uh, "Look, I haven't been as good as as uh, you know I I aspire to be this season." He, he's mentioned he's had crisis of confidence and that um, you know he just hasn't he just hasn't felt like himself for a long time uh, this season uh, he says he's uh, he's feeling a little bit better right now which is a positive for Toronto FC but um, you know I think this is this is bold and uh, I give credit to Alex Bono for doing this because I don't know uh, there doesn't seem like a lot of other professional athletes who would uh, necessarily go out on a limb like this and, and hold up their hands and say um, you know I wasn't up to standard this year. Yeah, I wasn't up there on the day, regrettably, but uh, I got I got a hold of the audio from uh, from Bono's scrum on Tuesday, and 
if I'm being honest, it doesn't particularly surprise me that that he was one of the guys to sort of hold his hand up. He's a he's a very good communicator. I, I think he studied communications in college, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, in the past, when he's made serious errors, he's he stepped up and he's put his hand up and he's said, you know, that one's on me. I have to do better. Uh, my mind goes back to to that San Jose game a couple of years ago where TFC were up two men, San Jose were down to nine players on the field and, and, you know, Bono ends up giving up a soft goal and Toronto goes on to lose that game. And, you know, back then we talked to him about that. Uh, I'm not certain if it was that season or the season after. And, you know, he took full responsibility and, and he, uh, he recounted a conversation that he had with Toronto's goalkeeping coach, John Conway about, about a situation in John's career where, where he sort of tried to shy away from taking responsibility for a bad gaff. I think it was one of those back passes that just sort of eludes the keeper and hops over your foot and ends up going in the back of the net. And John sort of told Alex that, you know, he tried to escape that and it was just something that sort of dogged him that he never, he never stood up and was like, that was on me and talked about it and just sort of was able to put it behind him by confronting it. And so Alex is the kind of guy that, that knows that he plays in a vital position and that knows that his mistakes tend to look a little bit worse than everyone else's mistakes. And so for him to step up and, and say that, you know, he hasn't been, he hasn't been what he wanted to be this season was very big. And, uh, you know, when, when we talk about all these guys, I think it's, it's too easy to forget how young they are in a lot of ways. And, and even a guy like Alex who had all the success that he did last season is still very much a young professional. He's still very much learning his trade. And, and so these are the sort of blips that you're going to see in a career. And, and I always feel personally that, that anybody who can sort of take ownership of their mistakes sets themselves up well to, uh, to do better in the future. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned the word future. Let's move on to Toronto FC two. Um, you know, of course, anytime we have you on, we're going to be talking about Toronto FC2 and, and the prospects within the red system. Um, things have taken a, a turn for the more dramatic of late with two, that's for sure. Um, you know, three of their last five games, uh, both them and their opponent have scored at least three goals. So goals have been a plenty. Um, they're kind of defending like the first team right now in terms of the goals they're shedding. But at the, at the very least, uh, they've been a, a lot more competitive lately. And uh, it's been pretty darn fun to watch uh, a lot of times down at, at Lamport and uh, even the away games as well. Yeah, it's been a pretty wild month. I think, uh, you know, including last night's match against Ottawa in September, TFC have conceded 16 goals and scored nine. And so anytime you get that many goals in a run of, what, five matches, it's always going to be a pretty entertaining little prospect. It's uh, watching TFC2 and covering TFC2 is always a bit of a roller coaster. I, I, I always sort of get the vibe that I got from TFC back in the early days of, of sort of being being almost on par with everything, but just in with with the opponents. But just when when it came down to those key moments of when goals are scored and when big defensive plays are made, and, and those moments that decide matches, they they just haven't quite been at the level, or or too often those those things go against them. The uh, if we look at the penalty decisions last night and. Uh, the one that Tim Kubel ended up conceding that that proved the game winner for Ottawa from my vantage point was in no way a penalty. And then later on in the match, Toronto's Matt Servo gets hauled down on the other side of the box. And that one's not a penalty. And, 
you'd, you'd like to think that over the course of a season, those sort of decisions even out, but it, it seems like in the history of TFC2, that's not really necessarily the case. And for this current sort of run, I go back to, I go back to the big win that they had in Louisville uh, last month, the 4-1 at the home of, of the defending champions, sort of uh, in front of a pretty big crowd and, CFC just everything that they that they put together on that night sort of came together and it's uh, it's always a work in progress with TFC too it's it's that fine balancing act for any team of of if you look to find goals you're necessarily going to open up a little bit and provide more space at the back and so it's finding that that crucial balance that's sort of been elusive for TFC two this season but uh, it sure been, has been a pretty fun. And a big reason for that pretty fun month, as you mentioned earlier, has been Subasa Endo. Uh, eight goals in 11 games so far with Toronto FC2, which is an incredible uh, amount. That hat trick against FC Cincinnati was unbelievable. Um, if you haven't uh, checked that out yet, make sure to go see those highlights. What have you made of Endo and, um, you know, kind of the improvements in his game? Because obviously this was a player that Toronto FC got rid of last season but brought back to Toronto FC2 and it does seem like he's taken a step forward in his game and obviously it's at the USL level but he's playing against good teams as well so this seems like a player who's very confident right now and could offer the the senior Reds a lot going forward. Yeah, Subasa's has always been a very interesting character. I, uh, I actually was working on a piece on him last November that that I never got around to writing up, but the gist of it was basically that, you know, for for those of us who are lucky enough to hang out at the TFC training grounds, it's notable that Subasa is the first one out on the pitch when they when they get out there for training, and if you stick around until the end of it, there's always Subasa out there, sort of lining up some free kicks or working on something, and and that's sort of a measure of the man in terms of not just how much he loves being out there and how much he loves playing, but also his willingness to put in the work that's required to really continue to develop yourself. And I think he was a little bit unfortunate to end up leaving the club earlier this year. Greg Vanny has spoken in the past about how uh, Canadian permanent residency rules and, and how long that takes compared to the green card system in the U S where guys seem to be able to get them a couple of months after joining a team mm-hmm. down south uh, has really sort of hamstrung Toronto in terms of, you know, do you, do you want to use an international roster spot on a guy like Subasa, who's not necessarily going to be in your starting eleven, but can really add something different? And I think he actually plays a position that Toronto has sort of been lacking a little bit this year in terms of having some width in that attack. And, and you know, Toronto tends to get it from their wingbacks or from their fullbacks or, or whatever you want to call them, but to have that that additional sort of wide threat, whether it's going to the touchline or being able to cut inside and make things happen is something that the first team could really use. And you know, I think I think the thing that that has struck me the most or I guess the the detail that might be most illuminating about about what we've seen from Subasa the last little while is he was speaking a couple of a couple of days after that hat trick in Cincinnati that you mentioned and uh he basically sort of said that, you know, he's been in and around training and, and watching Sebastian Jovinko play for the last couple of years. And and part of his sort of quest to become a better player is always looking for little things that he could pick up. And, you know, those goals from range that he scored against Cincinnati and sort of his ability to, to pick up the ball and dart into pockets and create chances is, has very much been reminiscent of, of the best we've seen from Jovinko over the years. So it's... Uh, 
it's nice that a young player like Subasa is is a sponge for those around him. You, you talk about those around him as well. Um, down the stretch here, who's who's kind of stood out for you? Um, we always kind of do a bit of a prospect update. So uh, which players are, you know, you, you've said maybe s- some players that uh, might be able to work their way into the senior roster or even players who are looking, you know, a little bit closer to taking that next step. Um, who's been standing out of late for you? Yeah, it's always really difficult to tell with two. Like guys, guys sort of go in and out of the lineup without a lot of explanation. We don't get a lot of injury info. We don't get a lot of a lot of uh, um, information regarding sort of what individual training programs the guys are on. Is in terms of are they trying to build up their their fitness for the professional game, and so they push them hard for a couple months and then they relax on them and, and whatnot. But I think if you look at a couple of the more consistent performers over the season, at the top of the list has to be Matt Serbel and Robert Boscovich. You know, Matt is sort of a hard-charging, dynamic, very good passing, an ability to get into the box from that midfield position that has really made him just uh, both a joy to watch, but also one of the more consistent pieces for Toronto FC when it comes to, uh, to getting on the pitch and making things happen in the attack. And, you know he's got enough grit and he and he he works incredibly hard and so he's uh, he's very much a two-way player in the middle of the park and Robert Boscovich has just been an absolute rock at the back for the team he's he's one of those defenders that uh you know the old saying of uh if you're a defender and they're talking about you it means that you didn't have a good game mm-hmm. and a lot of the work that a defender does is very much that sort of just keeping things calm and putting out fires before they really get going and and Boscovich's ability to read the game and, and step out and intercept passes as well as make that sort of last-ditch tackle before things get to a, a critical state has just been immensely impressive all season long. And another guy who's really sort of caught the eye the last couple of weeks is Dante Campbell. He's a, he's a young guy who we first sort of got a good look at last season as a right-back, and, and this year he's moved into the middle of the pitch, and he's just brought the same sort of ferocious energy that you saw from him in a wide position last year to the middle of the park and and his defensive ability there has been uh has been just as sound as it is on the outside and and I've been quite impressed with with his ability to to do things on on the ball whether that be sort of starting attacks from deep or sort of getting forward a little bit and and picking those passes that you want to see from your deep lying midfield players and one more of the sort of young homegrown guys that I think I think has earned a bit of a shout is uh, Tariq Muhammad. He's uh, a young left back that that was with the first team during training camp this year, and he's uh, he's gotten a good run of games, and he still looks very raw. But but you can see what it is about him that sort of excites Toronto so much in terms of his ability to sort of maraud up that side and and just his sheer competitiveness out there. He is. Uh, He's a guy that doesn't mind getting stuck in, and, and despite being 17 or 18, I'm not sure if he's had his birthday recently, but he uh, he has no qualms about mixing it up with any of the older, gruffer players in USL, so he's been a real <laughs> treat to watch as well. And, you know, there's a couple other guys that I think uh, are probably worthy of a mention. Uh, you know, Tim Kubel, a guy they drafted in the Super Draft this year and sort of uh, didn't quite look ready for the professional environment when, when the year started has really sort of come into some form and, and looked just a very competent and solid defender and has shown his ability getting forward as well. And the last few matches, we've seen a, a fair bit of John Baccaro, the uh, the player the first team picked up from Nicholas Hassler, 
uh, in that trade with Chicago midseason, and he's a he's a very intriguing prospect. He's got a lot of skill on the ball, linking up with his with his teammates and sort of looking to get into the box. So that's another one to sort of keep an eye on. And when it comes to TFC two, you're always sort of you're always sort of trying to squint to see what what's possible in the future for these guys. Uh, you know, Noble Akello is a player that I'm very very high on. Sean Hundle hasn't had a great season, but I still think he's one to sort of keep an eye on. And so. You never want to read too much from a from a six month six month period when it comes to trying to project out what these guys can be in the future. And, you know, so there are a lot of players on this team. Uh, Gideon Y is another one who's really caught my eye this season, just with his sort of consistency. And I think that's going to be the key if any of them are to make it to the first team. It's something Greg Vanny talks about a lot. Is that when it comes to putting a young player out there on the pitch, you want to know what you're going to get from him. You can't have a player who's going to be a 10 one week and a five the next week. You need a guy who's going to give you a seven every week. And, you know, those guys that I just listed have become have become the reliable players that you could see being ready to take that step up. All right. Well, um, we haven't talked a lot of UEFA Champions League on, on this show, but um, we're just going to quickly take a look at some of the games coming up uh, this next or next week um, and kind of our games of the week, the ones we think uh, you should make sure to make time for. Um, I've, I've gone with the pretty easy one here, the easy pick, which is Tottenham against Barcelona. Uh, but there's a, a bit of extra intrigue going into this game in the, in the sense that neither of these teams have really been especially good of late Tottenham. They lost three on the trot um, against Watford, Liverpool, and Inter Milan in the Champions League before finally beating Brighton this weekend. And then they also beat Watford in the cup as well. Um, and Barca, they lost to Leganes yesterday after drawing Girona on Sunday. So th- these are two teams that could really use a win right now, especially uh, Tottenham, considering they did lose their their opener to Milan. And that's the probably the team that they'll be uh, kind of fighting with in terms of uh, making it out in that uh, group, uh, as well as Barcelona. So, um, yeah, obviously Tottenham very good in the group stage last year. They went undefeated, and uh, they got that massive 3-1 win away to Real Madrid. So if they could do that again, it would send huge shockwaves. But as I said, both of these teams could use a confidence boost right now, so it'll be interesting to see which of those teams can, can get it done on the day. Uh, James, do you have any... Uh, any games that you think the people should be watching as well? Yeah, I've got one primary one and then just a couple others that I, I think are worthy of a mention. You know, as you said, the uh, the Tottenham game is very much two sides that are sort of looking to, to find their footing in this young season. And the other side of that coin is the Liverpool-Napoli game, which features, you know, two teams doing very, very well in their domestic leagues and, and are sort of looking to balance playing in Europe and doing well in Europe and excelling in Europe with sort of maintaining their push in their respective league tables. So that's one that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on. And the other two that have sort of caught my eye are, you know, anytime a Dutch team plays against a German team, there's always a little bit of uh, intrigue to those matches. So when Bayern Munich and Ajax meet, uh, you know, it might not be the clash that it would have been 20 years ago, but it's still, uh, it's still one that I like to keep an eye on. And then, uh, for Canadian fans in particular, our old fan, friend Milan uh, Borian takes his red star. I'm uh, not going to bother trying to pronounce <laughs> the other version of their name side to, to Paris where they will meet PSG. And, you know, Borian was able to keep a clean sheet in, in their opening round match against Napoli. And so, you know, let's see what he can do against the high powered attack of PSG. 
Yeah, they've decided to uh, put the Red Star Belgrade. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the what the pronunciation is uh, in terms of the Serbian, but they've decided to put that in a lot of the a lot of the tournament stuff now, and it, it always confuses me. It always takes me a second to be like, "Wait, who is that?" And then I <laughs> and then I figure it out. But uh, yeah, certainly uh, eight saves for Milan Borjan in his opening opening game against Napoli. So he'll be looking to to build off that, and that transitions us well into our final segment where we'll talk about couple of grab be- grab bag topics from Canadian soccer um, starting off in Vancouver where the Whitecaps uh, just five seasons uh, or after five seasons uh, or around five seasons of as the head coach um, they fired Carl Robinson uh, he was one of the longest serving coaches in in Major League Soccer and his reputation it seemed certainly kind of took a hit as he as the time went on uh, fans weren't overly happy with the way t- the team has been playing of late but um i think this is a this is a combination of things obviously as it always is uh he, he never necessarily had the best roster to work with the the Vancouver Whitecaps of course kind of have that reputation for not bringing in big players and especially in the in terms of designated players they haven't necessarily always shelled out the money so you feel tough for for Robbo sometimes in terms of maybe not having the best roster to compete but uh, at the same time um, maybe time for something new in, in Vancouver yeah you sort of got the sense that this one was coming in terms of you know Vancouver is a team that's always sort of underwhelmed when it when it's come to not just the teams that they put out there but the way that they sort of played and you know, it's always difficult to separate the coach's responsibility when it comes to, to how the team plays and the players that are made available to him, especially in a league like MLS that's sort of grown so much over the last five years that Robinson's been here. We've seen teams, you know, come into this league and, and spend a boatload of money. Look at what Atlanta United's been able to do by shelling out. And so for a club that's sort of, you know, looking to be to be wise financially when it comes to, to how they expend their resources it's always going to be a little bit difficult to to reach the higher echelons of the league play and you know our friend Christian Jack put up a, an interesting comparison when he was writing about um about Robinson's dismissal and and if you stack up Robinson's record against the likes of Peter Vermees and Greg Berhalter and Ben Olsen he's right there with them in terms of wins and points accumulated and you know, maybe the fact that that Vancouver never seemed to find their form at the right time to make the most of that sort of relative consistency can be a knock on Carl. But you know, I've I find it very, I find it very curious the timing of this decision. They're they're very much still in the playoff race out west, and it always strikes me as as sort of if you wanted to make this change, the off season's right around the corner. You can make the change then. Just just let the rest of the season finish out. And, you know, so do they do they think that by by bringing somebody else in, whether it be an interim or somebody new, uh, they'll get the bump that they need to make something happen? That's possible. Do they have somebody in mind and now is the right time to make that move? That's always possible as well. But whenever we see something that wasn't necessarily sudden but seems peculiar when it comes to the timing, you always have to wonder what's been going on behind the scenes that sort of led for it to blow up in a in a position like this in a, at a time like this. And, you know, I have a lot of time for Carl Robinson. He's, he's always been a, a good fellow to work with and a, and a good guy to chat with. And it's, uh, it'll be a new day in Vancouver. And, you know, I think, uh, I think he'll leave that job with a lot of respect from, if not the fans, 
then definitely with uh, those people he worked with. Um, I couldn't help but see that that Tim Parker, a, a former player of, of Vancouver's that got dealt to New York, uh, you know, took the time to to thank Carl for everything he did in, in helping him establish his career. And so, you know, Canadian soccer in general sort of loses a good one. Yeah, for sure. And certainly one of one of the things that will be part of his legacy will be the job he did in developing Alfonso Davies, which I think he did obviously an excellent job with making Alfonso Davies more of a, a rounded out player. And, you know, if, if there is one thing I kind of hope in terms of the next manager of, of the Vancouver Whitecaps, it's maybe someone who's uh, a little more willing to, to give young Canadians an opportunity, obviously look Robinson uh, you know he, he developed Davies so he did a pretty good job but uh, with guys like Bustos or, or Kians Froja or even Sam Atacugbi you know th- there was talent there that maybe couldn't make it through so uh, hopefully there's someone who can who can give some of these young uh, Vancouver Whitecaps players a more of an opportunity because there is some exciting talent um, coming up within their system for sure um, speaking of exciting talent um you know, the Canadian Premier League has gone on tour this week. They're going across Canada. Uh, they're in Quebec today, um, but they've also visited seven or will be visiting seven cities: uh, Halifax, uh, their Montreal, as I mentioned, Hamilton, Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, and Vancouver, hosting open trials to look for players for the new Canadian Premier League. Uh, very much a bit of an interesting system. I uh, I know uh, our old buddy Kurt Larson and Armin Bedakian are there, but I hope somebody's uh, documenting this a little bit. This could have made a or it could make a great like Netflix style series, but um, you know an interesting way to to kind of find talent throughout this country to uh you know that's that's the hope of this league is that it'll unearth more of these canadian players who maybe wouldn't have been given the opportunity if if this league hadn't presented itself yeah you know i think i think these open trials sort of serve two purposes one of them as you say is very much to sort of turn over every rock and, and see if there are a couple of gems out there that that can be on some of these rosters when when the season kicks off next year but I think another part of it is very much just to sort of get it out into the environment that that these things are happening and and that there will be matches to be played next year and everyone should be excited and you know I'm I'm planning on uh, next week I think they'll be up in Vaughan for the the York Region tryouts and then they'll be in Hamilton so I'm hoping to make it to at least one of those to get a better sense oh, of yeah, sort you're of trying out me yeah no you you've seen my managerial <laughs> skills and you know i made it through about two 20 minute games before getting sacked i had the hat but i did not have the skills so uh no i will not be trying out uh, but so I'll, I'll have a better sense sort of, of of what the level of these things is but you know I, I think i think for a new league especially a league that wants to have as strong ties to the communities within which they are in as, as the CPL wants to having this sort of chance to, to find those local guys who who can go on to represent the city in that team is just such a valuable thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very exciting to see that, you know, we're getting closer and closer to this league coming together. You know, a lot of the coaching staffs are in place. We're starting to get a sense of, of how the roster will be constructed and how the season will be structured. And, you know, there's still a lot of question marks, but, you know, we're, we're hearing rumblings of player unveiling set to come out in the next month or two. And so, you know, these are just sort of uh, another thing to sort of uh, whet the appetite for what we're going to be seeing next year. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, maybe the, even the biggest news coming out of Canadian soccer right now, even with the, the Robinson uh, dismissal um, and the CanPL trials going on, is the fact that Balu Tabla uh, has declared his, his loyalty to Canada. You would think he'd be called up for that October 16th. Obviously, um, the roster hasn't been released yet, but, um, you know, he, he'd, uh, he'd been playing for Canada throughout the youth levels and got called up for Canada for U20 um, tournament that he declined and it seemed for a long time especially as he moved away from Canada from the Montreal Impact to Barcelona's B team that perhaps he would be pursuing the Ivory Coast and um, that that would be where he'd be playing his, his soccer but it seems like John Herdman's been able to get him on board and I was struck by how much he talked about Herman Herdman's vision as a big part of um, you know the reason why he came back and fully decided to to commit to Canada at the senior level, and uh, I, I think uh, Biello deserves a lot of credit for that as well. The Canadian assistant coach, who obviously was uh, Tablas' coach at the Montreal Impact, so exciting times for Canadian soccer because you know outside of Alfonso Davies, this has to be the most talented player in Canada's system, and adds yet another young player that uh, I think can basically step into the roster right now. Obviously. Um, there's a lot of uh, talent up front, so he's going to have to fight for a spot. But uh, he has that ability to be a consistent player for Canada, and this could be huge going forward. Yeah, it was a pretty big shock when it sort of first went and out uh, was announced. That the first tweet that they put out was very sort of uh, nondescript and had absolutely no details, and it. it was just sort of vague and sort of random. And then you know a couple minutes later, the the video emerges of, of him in the red kit and. and uh, more details of uh, of uh, his intention sort of emerged, but as you said, the uh, the plethora of attacking talent at Herdman's disposal heading into this Concacaf Nations League qualifying is just mind-boggling for Canadian fans. Uh, you know, back in the day, we used to we used to all crow about the potential of a midfield made up of Julian de Guzman and Atiba Hutchinson and Dwayne Di Rosario and Will Johnson, but you never quite had those attacking pieces that could really be the difference makers. And then you look at, you look at the, the squad that Canada is capable of putting together. You know, as you mentioned, Alfonso Davies, Kyle Lauren, Jonathan David, Lucas Cavallini, Liam Miller, like that is some, some potent weaponry when it comes to scoring goals. The, uh, at the other end of the pitch, of course, we could, uh, could use a defender or two being <laughs> unearthed. I'm, uh, I'm pretty high on Derek Cornelius. So I think he's a good one to watch for the future. Agreed, yeah. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be fun. You know, these next few matches should give us, uh, I don't expect any of them to be uh, overly challenging for the team, but I know Herdman has talked a fair bit about uh, sort of using this as a chance to, to instill the new culture in the side and to work on the things that will serve them well when the tougher matches come around, when the, when the Nations League proper rolls around next year. And, in terms of Tabla's sort of decision to go for it, I think you're right. I think Biello played a, a big role. And what I've been particularly impressed with Herdman is his ability to not just not just have a vision for what he wants the national team program to, to look like. I think every coach sort of has a vision of what it is that they want to do. But not every coach can communicate it and, and flesh out those details and, and show you on paper the plan of how he wants to get there and I think if you're a young player like Tabla, who's sort of making a very big decision about his future, you know, looking back at looking at a national team program that can can show you what it is that they want to do and, and can 
show you how it is that they plan on getting there and and has those other talents that we mentioned not to forget about the fact that in 2026 there's going to be a home world cup played here in canada and so all those things come together really uh really makes Canadian soccer something pretty uh, fascinating to keep an eye on these next few years. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another bit of fascination in terms of Canadian soccer kicks off um, on the women's side next week as they get underway their first important competition under new head coach Kenneth Heinemuller. Of course, the replacement of John Herdman when he made that switch over to the men's national team. Uh, They're playing in the CONCACAF Women's Championship with basically the minimum expectation that they'll qualify for the Women's World Cup once again, uh, which is coming up 2019 in France. Canada's group includes Costa Rica, Jamaica, and Cuba. They start with Jamaica on October the 5th, so that's next Friday. And, of course, three spots are on the line from CONCACAF in terms of World Cup qualifying. So this is a pretty important cycle, I think, for for the stability of that program and making sure that, um, you know, even with John Herdman leaving and moving over to the men's program, that they can continue to kind of consider themselves in that world elite group in, in terms of teams. Yeah, I, I think the first thing to note about this is, is, as you said, this is the first competitive test for the new coach. And it's always interesting to see if they're going to be a, a, st- a stability coach, you know, somebody that very much carries on the, the Herdman of the legacy of Herdman, sorry, or if he's going to sort of look to create his own sort of image of the team and the program. And, you know, in reality, it's probably a mix of the two. And, and we've seen him sort of continue to rely on the same group of veterans while also sort of making space for those younger players to sort of get their first steps with the national team. So this will be a very important sort of uh, milestone in, in, uh, in the tenure of Heiner Muller. Um, Heiner Muller. It's a, it's a tricky one. It sure is. Uh, yeah. I quite, I quite like the squad that he's selected. It's that good mix of sort of veterans that you expect to be there and sort of those ever present up and coming players that, that, you know, are going to form the core of this team in the years to come. Um, and, uh, you know, a sprinkling of youth. And, and if there's one thing about, about the Canadian team that's been very interesting as well. All the attention has been on Christine Sinclair, and rightly so, as she looks to, uh, you know, outscore Abby Wambach for the most goals ever by a, a women's player. It's uh, it's neat to see the young girls like, you know, Jesse Fleming and, and Haitama and, and Rose sort of breaking onto the scene and continuing to develop themselves. I'm, I'm always partial to some of the names that we've gotten to know over the years, like Diane Matheson and Sophie Schmidt, but... Uh, you know, watching Jesse Fleming develop over these past few years has been uh, has been quite a lot of fun. I have a bit of a soft spot for uh, the central midfield role, so you know, I'll have to take that as a, as a given. Uh, I think they got a they got a very interesting group in this one. I think I think avoiding Mexico was sort of nice. Mexico is always sort of the third team in Concacaf that can, uh, or at least as things stand, that can sort of you know throw a wrench into whatever plans you may have and. You know, Costa Rica sort of did very well in the last edition of this tournament, ending up runners-up. Uh, Canada weren't involved as hosts of, of the last Women's World Cup. But, you know, this is a tournament that uh, will decide a lot of things in terms of the, the direction of the program and sort of 
what sort of momentum they can they can build heading into the next cycle of really important competitions. So uh, it'll be uh, it'll be fun. Yeah, we'll be definitely looking forward to that. I think, uh, you know, it seems like the men's national team for once has has gotten a lot of the spotlight lately with the the whole Herdman situation and uh, and uh, you know some of the players they've been able to bring in. But uh, I think very quickly it's uh, you know it's going to shift back to the women for a bit as they um, hopefully can build on their success, as you said. So uh, definitely more chat about them in the future on this show but um for now i think we're we're gonna wrap this one up james thanks for joining the show once again uh, it's always a, ple- a pleasure mitchell anytime man anytime we've always got a got some time to chat canadian soccer and uh i'm looking forward to uh october when we all get together at the river yeah for sure i can't believe this is a job sometimes um <laughs> as, as james said come hang out with uh him and myself at the Rivoli on October 11th uh, at our Footy Talks show. It's uh, always been a great night in the past, and I don't think uh, either of the two of us can can ruin it. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, make sure to come out and uh, pick up a copy of Josh's book. And until then, thanks for listening, and have a good week.